This is Unfortunate History. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Unfortunate History. This is Cody Pennington, and with me today is Sam Brown. How's it going, Sam? It's good, sir. It's, it's lovely to be back. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. Good to see you again. It's been a while. It's been a while. You Since the, what, the Terrare episode, I believe it was? Terrare was the first one I did, and then I came back for, oh, Timothy... Lord Timothy Dexter. Yes. Timothy Dexter, yes. The luckiest, unlucky, sad man. Poor Dex. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Poor Dex. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that I enjoyed those episodes. I enjoyed doing those episodes and introducing people to those wacky characters and stuff. If you haven't listened to it, those yet, listeners, go back and listen to it. Those are episodes two and three. Definitely go back and listen to them. That's been great. Yeah. It's been really awesome hearing all the stuff you've done with Greg in the meantime. I mean, I'm still catching up. I'm on the Emmett Hill episode that I've been. But for all the listeners, uh, yeah, go and check it out. I mean, the, the chemistry between you two is fabulous. Oh, thanks. Um, man. For between the very Brummy Greg and the very, the very Murican. <laughs> American, America, and um, particularly big shout out for the Billy the Kids double whammy. That was wicked. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's been really, really fun. Labor of love, uh, I would say. Um, and and obviously, Greg's not here. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it today. Um, and that's okay. I think we're going to get him next episode on the mini-sode. Um, and then I think Sam might come back to finish out this series since we're starting with Sam. Might as well finish with Sam. Wow. My girlfriend said the same thing, you know, so. <laughs> Zing. Well, I mentioned that the uh, other episodes have been a labor of love, and that is no different for today's episode. Today's episode has been so big for me. It's been a huge undertaking, and I did not expect it to be as big as it is. But I got through the first week, and hopefully I'll get through part two as well. Um, but today will be our first dive into the dastardly villainous scoundrels of the sea, the Buccaneers of Barbados, the callous criminals of the Caribbean. Today is our first episode covering pirates. Yes. <laughs> Do a dance. Pirate dance. <laughs> yes. Now, to kick off this series, I decided to choose a well-known household name, but one whose life story may not be known to really many at all. This episode is going to equip you, the listener, with useless facts that you'll be able to throw in the face of any possible one-night stand that offers you a rum and coke. Because <laughs> that's right, we're discussing Captain Morgan. Yes! People don't understand he was actually a real person. And he was a very flawed person, as we'll see. But he also has an incredible life story. And I'm so happy to get into it. But before we get into it, a quick note is necessary from the outset. A lot of historical information, especially from this time period, can be difficult to authenticate. So it must be said that some of the information we have used in this episode is almost impossible to claim as historical fact. Some of today's information comes from The Pirates of Panama, a book written by a former shipmate of Captain Morgan, actually, John Esquemeling, or Alexandre Esquemeling, which he goes by both names. <laughs> I say both names because the author was known by both names at some point. I think it was either an issue with translation or this could have just been a pen name. Like John Esquemeling is used in the Pirates of Panama, but A.O. Esquemeling is used elsewhere. So I imagine John was used when marketing the book to Americans is what I see probably happened. But even that bit of confusion can show you how difficult it is to verify even the slightest details from this part of history. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, to be fair, the other guys have got pretty exotic names. You haven't seen their names on a bottle yet. John Esquemeling? <laughs> yeah. 
Esquemelon. I feel like he's more of a gin, though. Maybe. I was going to say, like, you know, like one of those dodgy shots you used to get in, like, a like a dodgy bar, like oxygen or something like that. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. You never take those <laughs> shots in dodgy bars. When you're, the, when you're, like, one of four guys there and there's no women? <laughs> that was a remarkable amount of my teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, further the fact that it's hard for the historical information to actually be accurate or authenticated... Since we'll be using a lot of information directly from Esquimelon, it should be noted that Esquimelon was apparently at some point in his life wronged by Captain Morgan, as I'm sure we've all been in the past. (laughs) (laughs) So some of his statements on Morgan have been claimed to be just vindictive attacks against him. Uh, Morgan even brought a libel suit against Esquimelon for his book that he wrote, and he won. But that also doesn't necessarily mean that the information is not true. Either way, we will try our best to give you, the listeners, a mostly factually correct but also entertaining story of Captain Morgan. Again, I've said it before, but please do not quote us on your history assignments. (laughs) Now, as with very many of our topics here on Unfortunate History, there really isn't much known about Captain Henry Morgan's early life. We do know that he was born around 1635 in Wales in the Monmouthshire region. We don't know if he had any siblings. We don't really even know if he had a mom. Obviously, that's a joke, but a lot of historians say that all efforts to find out Morgan's true lineage have been unsuccessful to this point. However, some sources claim that Captain Henry Morgan's father was a man named Robert Morgan, although this name could literally have been pulled from thin air because every man in this time period was named either John, Edward, Charles, Henry, or Robert. You literally had no other options. I suppose there's like a fair few of them were like biblical at times, apart from Henry. Yes, absolutely biblical. I was also going to follow up with, uh, with Monmouthshire, Wales. I would never have seen that coming for a guy who went on to uh, plaster himself from rum bottles. Yeah, crazy, right? That's very interesting. I don't think he founded Captain Morgan Rum. (laughs) It is surprising to see this guy from Wales, like literally go all the way across the world and become a pirate. It's, but it's a very interesting story on how that actually happened, which we'll get into in just a second. Cool. Now, Morgan's father, Robert was supposedly a successful farmer. It's even stated that he was rich, but I'm not really sure what that would mean for a farmer in that day and age. He possibly owned, Four cows instead of two, maybe. Uh, I don't know 100% what that would actually mean. But either way, it can be pretty well assumed that Robert would hope for his son Henry to take over the farm to continue the family business, as is the custom with a lot of family-owned farms, even to this day. However, Henry had other plans. He felt that he wanted a bit more adventure in his life, and he decided to move to Bristol, obviously the most adventurous place in England. (laughs) I was about to say, like, when you've had enough of sheep in Wales, and to be fair, most people from, like, uh, the valleys, the valleys would normally go to Cardiff or Swansea, but some of them go over the bridge, <laughs> to Bristol, over the bridge, you see, that bridge with its damn, with its damn toll, the amount of time oh. to go through it, I'm like, oh, I've got family in Wales, so it's nice to go there, and then they're like, hello, sir, five pounds, please, I'm like, five pounds to go into Wales, like, five pounds, pounds. the fuck is that like a like, like the like a fucking visa to get into wales that's terrible five pounds fuck that actually at the time of recording this it might have stopped now because i knew for a while that they were charging it to pay off the bridge and i think it might be paid off now so i could be talking shit i've driven by there a couple of times but i thought i just got lucky on the timing but i didn't get charged so maybe they did pay off the bridge for anyone who wanted to know <laughs> <laughs> they should do that for a lot of things like 
like you know, like a big buildings in in London. They pay you have to pay like five pound to get in until they pay off the building. Like a like like houses of parliament, like the parliament when it gets rebuilt, charge people all the people that work there, the, the fucking members of parliament, <laughs> charge the, charge all the MPs five pound to get in until it's paid off. I was wondering where you were going with that for a moment. I was like, who is gonna ah good child? <laughs> yeah, you goddamn right fucking political man we get political as, like so much even when we're talking about pirates fuck these politicians <laughs> now when henry reached bristol he began to search for different employment opportunities as bristol is a coastal city obviously due to the bristol channel morgan soon found himself at the docks and here he spied two ships that were soon to set sail for barbados and obviously that had to have been attractive as a young man now according to esquimelling Morgan decided to offer his services to one of these ships. Now, this next bit of information is very odd to me, but apparently it was commonplace for ships in Bristol to snatch up boys and men looking for work like Morgan, and one of the ships did so, and once the ship arrived in Barbados, they instantly sold him into servitude, and that was apparently commonplace. They even referred to it as being Barbadosed. And... <laughs> I can literally only imagine Morgan walking into the ship for like a job interview and halfway through the interview, he's just snatched into a potato sack and then he just, he just wakes up in Barbados and he's like, why is it so hot yeah. here? Or is that that? We're just, uh, as the interview's going on, you know, you're just watching the scenery go by outside and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, wait, what, what, what's happening? <laughs> to be fair though, like Wales to Barbados, right? Okay. The, um, when I was 21, I used to work on a cruise ship, and the first thing we did was was sail from Southampton uh, to Barbados via oh god, so, um, one of the Spanish islands, Portuguese islands. Sorry, but I mean, on a cruise ship, that's like still like five days. So imagine what that would have been like back then. That must have been a pretty brutal journey. Oh, I'm sure it was, especially on a awful, dirty ship where he was literally a slave. <laughs> Much. What a bummer. <laughs> now, that previous bit of information is actually debated by historians. Being Barbados was a thing, but Henry could have made his way to Barbados as a member of an army, an expedition, or an apprentice. All of those have actually been claimed, but none have been successfully verified. So we'll stick to Esquimelon's assertion, but just know that the information is not foolproof. Now, it's also claimed by Esquimelon that Morgan, after being made a slave, eventually worked off his servitude and then left for Jamaica from Barbados. However, I think we'll diverge from this claim and use more recent claims made by historians. Some current historians believe that Henry Morgan joined the British army led by General Robert Venables to escape his servitude. Venables' army had traveled from England to the Caribbean and actually landed in Barbados before moving forward to their attack destination. So this claim that he joined an army to avoid slavery is not too far-fetched. It's actually more believable. And it was from this military service, supposedly, that Morgan was introduced to piracy and privateering. I mean, t still, to be fair, being Barbados right now is one of the, the I, I would definitely, I'd, hands up, would definitely be Barbados right now. I would, I think I would like it if they at least asked if I wanted to do it <laughs> instead of just throwing me in a sack. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, if you were going to be like shanghai to somewhere, I mean, obviously for shanghai you get shanghai to Shanghai, one would presume, but to be Barbados, I'd be like, oh, cool. It's not like they're saying <laughs> you're going to be Birmingham'd. 
Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. No. <laughs> now, before we continue Morgan's story, I think it's really important to paint a picture of what Jamaica and the rest of the Caribbean was like at this time. Because, you know, like storytelling and world building and all that shit. Now, the current time period would have been around the 1650s. And this was around the beginning of what was referred to as the Golden Age of Piracy, which lasted from 1650 to 1720. And these years are then split into three periods, the Buccaneering Period, the Pirate Round, and the Post-Spanish Secession Period. Now, the Buccaneering Period, the first period, occurred between 1650 and 1680, and it involved Anglo-French seamen based in Jamaica and Tortuga. During this period, these seamen attacked Spanish colonies as well as Spanish shipping vessels in the Caribbean and Eastern Pacific, so on the opposite side of Central America. We'll discuss why these seamen actually took to pirating a little more in a moment, and also why it's referred to as the Buccaneering Period. That's um. I'm trying to. I'm trying to do the the math. Actually, um, at what point? I'm going to be really, really off here, considering that I've not too long ago done a lecture on um, Caribbean music. But I'm trying to remember uh, at what what time did Columbus get there? A long time before, over a century beforehand. Oh wow! So it was yeah. Okay, so I was about to say I thought it was like 1500s, but I was like, does this sound nearer? <laughs> yeah, it was the 1500s that Columbus had sailed there, and then from that, it was now Spanish owned. Of course, yeah, yeah. And actually, that plays into the story quite a bit. Here we go. But before we get to that, I'll continue with the periods of the uh, Golden Age of Piracy. The second period I mentioned, the Pirate Round, occurred between 1693 and 1700, and this period involved more long-distance voyages from the Americas to plunder Muslim and East India Company targets in the Indian Ocean and Red Sea. Pirates were basically beginning to look beyond the Caribbean for treasure at this point, and it was kind of a mix between this period and the previous period that the Pirates of the Caribbean kind of took place in the films, but they mixed them together a bit too much. So realistically, the Pirates of the Caribbean should have taken place in the Buccaneering period, but they kind of mixed it in with the Pirate Round as well. Yeah. Sitting there cursing Disney, all the historians in the cinema. Yeah. Damn you, Disney! <laughs> now, the final period, the post-Spanish secession period, occurred between 1716 and 1726. This period, as the name would pretty much suggest occurred following the War of Spanish Secession, and we won't go into great detail on this war now, but we may in future episodes. In a nutshell, Spain lost its monarch, Charles II. He died leaving no heir to the throne, which you probably shouldn't do as a monarch. And this resulted in Europe battling over who would control Spain. Now, the war carried on until a series of treaties ended it, as well as ending the employment of thousands of seamen, including privateers who had been employed by Great Britain, now, without work, these seamen and privateers took to pirating. So that's how the third period of pirating started. Right, okay, so basically there were just loads of unemployed sailors who were just like, fuck it, lads, should we just start nicking? Pretty much, yeah. They had to resort to pirating because they had no money coming in at all. Uh. Now, of these three periods of the Golden Age of Piracy, the first period, the Buccaneering period, is where today's episode takes place. The other periods will very likely come into play on later episodes, so it's good to mention them now so that you have a bit of an idea of the information. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that we'd cover how and why the first pirate period, the Buccaneering period again, came about. To do this, it would help to, at the same time, clarify a bit of the terminology for this episode, because some of the words can get confusing. Firstly, since what we're discussing 
occurred during the buccaneering period will define the term buccaneer. Now, this term is actually specific to the Caribbean and the west coast of Central America. In general, it is this region's term for a pirate, and I'll explain why. The term is derived from the French term boucan, which was a grill for smoking meat. And the term was first applied to French wild game hunters who lived in the Caribbean on the island of Hispaniola, which is today split into Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And this island will come into play a lot during this story. Now, the island of Hispaniola was formerly under the control of Spain, and the Spanish wanted to rid the island of these French wild game farmers, or game hunters. This was because, although the hunters mainly survived off the game they hunted, they also bolstered their provisions by pillaging Spanish ships in the sea around the island. And because of this, the Spanish began trying to slowly push the hunters out of the territory. However, over time, the game hunters also drew members to their group that included scoundrels and other people of ill repute. So, to fight back against the Spanish, these groups began robbing more Spanish ships. And as their groups became larger, the hunters migrated to an island off the coast of Hispaniola, Tortuga. And this island was still controlled by the Spanish. And they were still keen to get rid of these groups of Bucan users, or Bucaneers, or the Americanized version, Buccaneers. That's where the term came from. But Spain's next actions are what caused the Buccaneers to turn more towards piracy. That's all awesome. I like how it's like it's derived um, from Buchan. That's really cool. The thing I just made a mental note of was, why don't we use scoundrels and people of ill repute more? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely rolls off the tongue in a much more eloquent way. Now, another term we'll clarify is just pirate. It seems obvious, but a pirate is generally somebody who commits some sort of illegal act with the use of a ship, usually on water. If it's not on water, I don't know how the ship would have fucking got there. <laughs> <laughs> now, murdering, kidnapping, and robbing all fall under pirate activities, as long as a boat and water are involved. Now, this term, as I said earlier, is synonymous with buccaneer in the Caribbean. Again, the definition of pirate seems pretty obvious, but I tell you that definition to also give you the definition of another term, privateer. Now, a privateer was a private person who owned a vessel and was under the employment of a government. These privateers were awarded letters of mark that gave them British-sanctioned powers to pillage and plunder other countries' ships. So basically, a legal pirate. In a lot of cases, a person may be both a pirate and a privateer, because they would be a pirate, but they were also given legal authority to perform their pirate actions by a government, similar to the previously mentioned buccaneers. You'll hear the words privateer, pirate, and buccaneer a few times in this episode, so I hope these little explanations help you keep them straight. Number one, being a legal pirate has got to be one of the coolest jobs to ever exist. You can do whatever the fuck you like because you are, you sir, are a legal pirate, which I thought was awesome. And um, I also liked like the, the potential of arguing the semantics, being like, you sir are accused of being a pirate. Ah, ah, no, I need to commit the crime in both a boat and on water. I was only on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting, actually, because a lot of countries used privateers, so pirates, legal pirates, as their navies, mm. because around this time, a lot of countries didn't actually have navies, or at least they didn't have big navies. So they had to bolster their numbers with these privateers, and it became a huge thing, especially in the Caribbean. So more often than not, if you were a pirate, you were likely working for a government as a privateer as well. That's super cool. 
Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking to myself, like, having the letter of Mark must be, like, that kind of cool calling card. They're like, you guys stop it. And then, 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 I got the letter of Mark, see? Yeah, yeah. Just being, nah, 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 nah. Well, of course, it didn't stop the Spanish from shooting you in the head. <laughs> didn't, didn't act too great as armor, did it? It was no. like, how does it fare against a bullet? No, yeah. It, it definitely stopped the British from shooting you in the head, but not the Spanish. <laughs> we were overly polite they were like hang on he's got a letter <laughs> <laughs> yeah whoa 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 there's paper <laughs> now moving back to morgan when we last spoke about soon to be captain morgan he had just joined general venable's british army in barbados now this army was put together by the british with the aim of invading spanish territory in the west indies basically the caribbean it was one of the strongest ever to sail from England at this time, and it consisted of around 3,000 men when it left England. But then it was further reinforced when the army stopped in Barbados, and the army was said to have totaled around eight to 9,000 men after they stopped in Barbados. And I have no fucking clue where they got so many men. Whoa. But obviously, this is when Morgan likely jumped aboard with this army. Now, this army was to be one of the first to attack during the Anglo-Spanish War of 1645 and 1660, because there actually were a shit ton of Anglo-Spanish wars, so I have to, I have to single out the dates there. <laughs> now, Venables' army was given no real goal as to which part of the West Indies to attack. Venables was given suggestions of targets, but was basically given free reign. And he decided to go big and attack the previously mentioned island of Hispaniola, where the Buccaneers were originally from. However, this island had been under Spanish control for over a century at this point, so they were really well ingrained in the area. So, Venables' attempt to take the island was a complete and utter failure. They actually attacked the island twice and were beaten to shit each time. <laughs> it's actually reported that after the second loss, Venables then complained loudly about the cowardice of his men and decided to give up. And they were defeated and broke, so Venables decided on another target, Jamaica. He basically kind of threw his hands up and said, you fucking guys suck, let's get out of here. And he just, they fucked off to, to another target. <laughs> I love that. You guys <laughs> suck. I'm going to Jamaica. Yeah, fuck this. <laughs> Jamaican me. You guys Jamaican me crazy. Hey. <laughs> now, Venables felt that Jamaica would be a great replacement for Hispaniola and a huge victory for the British. However, it was actually also a complete catastrophe. Jamaica literally had one town, which was only defended by 200 Spanish soldiers. It was an underdeveloped island that held no significant advantage for British in the Caribbean at this time at least. He had used thousands of men to capture a weakened, useless island. And this was actually seen as so bad and such a waste that Venables was instantly imprisoned in the Tower of London on his return to uh, England. Ooh. Oh, the whole Jamaican me crazy thing definitely backfired then. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. He was instantly thrown in prison for basically just mishandling his army almost. <laughs> However, Venables' troops, including Henry Morgan, mostly all still remained in Jamaica. The Spanish forces there had begun fighting back against the British army, although not very successfully. What was most dangerous to the British were the completely obscure tropical diseases they were facing. Yellow fever, dysentery, and malaria all killed men off daily. However, through all of this, Henry Morgan survived. Eventually, the Spanish were pushed back and Jamaica was under complete British control. 
And Venables' attack on Jamaica may have been seen as a failure at the time, but it introduced a very good vantage point for Britain in the Caribbean. It also led to the founding of a very important privateer and buccaneering point, the village of Port Royal. And throughout most of his adventures in the Caribbean, Morgan would always return to Port Royal with his plunder and booty. Sorry, it was just the fact that you finished on booty. I was going to be like, that's all cool. And then you said booty. I always finish on booty. (laughs) Hey, zing. Now, the details after this time period are a bit difficult to pin down, but we will use a mixture of Esquimelin's book and information from other sources like essays and similar material. Now, Esquimelin claims that while in Jamaica, Morgan found two ships of pirates ready to set sail. These ships could have been manned by the previous privateers under Venables' command, but they had lost their jobs now, obviously. Since Morgan had no employment from the military with Venables being imprisoned, he decided to join the crew of these ships. Now, apparently, Morgan took to this line of work like a fish to water, pun intended. (laughs) He quickly learned the ways of a pirate and the lifestyle they led aboard their ships. Now, at this moment, it's worth saying that some historians disagree with the notion that Morgan was a pirate. They claim that Morgan was instead always a privateer, always under the legal protection of Britain. And he may well have been, but as I stated earlier, you can be a pirate and a privateer at the same time. So if I were to argue the point, I would say that Morgan definitely partook in pirating activities. And in fact, we'll be discussing a few in a moment. I'm looking forward to these. Now, as Morgan sailed with these pirates, they were said to have had very successful voyages, equaling in very healthy profits, better than most privateers up to this point. Because of this, Morgan agreed with some of his shipmates to join forces and to join their profits to purchase a ship. Now, once they purchased the ship, the men supposedly unanimously chose Morgan as their captain and commander, and thus was the beginning of Captain Morgan. The brand. The brand, yeah. They all came together and they created rum. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, do you know what this guy would look good on? Rum. Yeah. Can you lift your foot up a bit? (laughs) (laughs) Put put this hat on. Face that way. There it is. (laughs) Do you think you could grow a tweedly little mustache? (laughs) Now, over the course of the next few years, Captain Morgan and his crew reportedly participated in multiple raids and plunderings that all tended to end very fruitfully. He was fucking great at this. His whole group were so good. Now, in the early 1660s, it has been claimed that Captain Morgan was called upon as a privateer under the command of Christopher Mings. Now, at this time, Mings was putting together a fleet of privateers to launch attacks on Spanish territories, like Venables had attempted, but a lot better. Now, he was amassing the largest buccaneer fleet to be assembled at this time for his attacks, which ended up being 14 ships strong with 1,400 pirates. Whoa. Huge force for this time period, especially a huge force for privateers, basically going around to these men of ill repute and saying, join my fleet and you can kill as many people as you want under my letters of mark. (laughs) Only the guys from ill repute will have no scoundrels. (laughs) Now, one of the first targets was the second largest city in Cuba, Santiago de Cuba, and this was in 1662 when they were supposed to attack it. Now, the city was protected by an incredibly strong fortress at its harbor, the Castillo del Moro. The privateer force was able to take this city incredibly easily. They completely destroyed the city and completely destroyed the Castillo del Moro in the process. Now, the following year, in 1663, Captain Morgan was called on again to assist Mings with another attack, 
this time on San Francisco de Campeche, not to be confused with the actual San Francisco. And this attack was again a rousing success, and the pirates returned with an enormous amount of plunder, or like I said earlier, booty. However, after this attack, it seems that Captain Morgan started to get tired of waiting for the opportunity to perform these large-scale plunderings, so he and his privateering friends decided to start their own attacks on different cities. They successfully attacked multiple cities, including Villa Hermosa, Trujillo, and Granada. I don't expect you to know any of those cities, but all of them fell to Captain Morgan and his crew. No other pirate or privateer up to this point had the balls to do this, to attack these cities. They were taking more villages than any other group, and it was incredibly impressive compared to any other privateers, pirates, or buccaneers. And certain important people actually started to take notice of Captain Morgan's abilities. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, when you said, like, no one had the balls to do this. He was like, this guy had enough balls to go after that booty. Yeah, exactly. Getting all that booty. He was very good. They were very, very good at this. And I think it all came down to Captain Morgan being a very good leader to his men. Because no other privateers were fighting as well as he was at this time. But in 1665 or 66, we're not sure which exact year, Morgan did what any red-blooded British man would do. He married his cousin. (laughs) However, marrying his cousin was not only weird, it was actually pretty clever. Now, at this particular time, the Morgan family was making its way to the Caribbean, and Henry Morgan's uncle, Colonel Edward Morgan, had moved with his family, including his daughter Mary Elizabeth, to Jamaica. Mary Elizabeth was who Henry Morgan ended up marrying. Now, Edward was made the deputy governor of Jamaica, and this gave Captain Morgan direct access to the upper levels of Jamaican society, which will come into play in a moment and in his later life. Now, unfortunately, the same year he was made deputy governor, Captain Morgan's uncle father-in-law died during an expedition, and he was replaced by a man named Colonel Thomas Modiford. Modiford. Now, soon after the death of his uncle father-in-law, Colonel Modiford named Captain Morgan Colonel of the Port Royal Militia, presumably for his impressive commanding abilities while as a pirate and privateer, and also possibly due to his familiar connections. Now, he had also already served in the Port Royal Militia as a captain in the past, but now commanded the militia as its colonel. Now, further to this, Modiford or Modiford, uh, Modiford, I'm going to say Modiford, also issued Morgan a letter of mark against the Spanish allowing him to attack any Spanish ships at sea. Now, it's also stated that he made him admiral of a fleet, but there's also other facts that contradict this a bit. So I'll go with the other facts instead. But around the same time that he was made colonel of the Port Royal Militia, coincidentally, a large group of pirates called the Brethren of the Coast had just lost their admiral. So they approached Captain Morgan for the position, to which he gladly accepted. That's what some of the facts from history say. Now, either way this happened, he did become admiral of a fleet of privateers. And this gave Henry Morgan the ranks of captain, colonel, and admiral, all in different capacities. This also gave him a fleet of buccaneers that he could use against any Spanish ship he liked. However, his letter of mark did not allow for attacks on land, and that is important to remember for this episode and our second episode of the series. (laughs) <laughs> the fact the fact that there were some certain restrictions that the letter of mark would allow him to do otherwise just marrying a cousin just came with loads of perks apparently apparently yeah oh genetics <laughs> <laughs> now at this point in history captain morgan was seen as the undisputed king of buccaneers 
and he decided to put his new fleet to good use against the Spanish. He did so on many occasions, and we'll be discussing a few today and a few on next week's conclusion to this series. But today, we'll cover the attacks on Puerto Principe and Puerto Bello, not the mushroom. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't just attack a mushroom with a giant fleet. It doesn't make any sense. Stop being idiots. What are you guys thinking about? No. (laughs) (laughs) That is one big portobello mushroom. Sorry, guys. It's a team effort. I'm going to need everyone in here. (laughs) Recalling all the captains for this one. No. Okay. God. (laughs) This is a serious episode. This is number 10. (laughs) Sorry. Now, the attack on Puerto Principe began with Captain Morgan initially wanting to attack Havana, but it was found to be too heavily fortified, so they settled on attacking Puerto Principe. However, this plan was doomed from the start. As they discussed the attack, a Spanish prisoner aboard the ship overheard the plan. Not knowing that this prisoner spoke English, the buccaneers laid out their entire planned attack. Once the ship arrived at a bay near Puerto Principe, that prisoner escaped and swam to shore. He made his way to Puerto Principe and informed the Spanish there of the planned attack. Aware of the pirates' plan, the governor woke all of the people of the town and they began to hide their treasure. They readied themselves for the pirates' arrival. Now, the pirates soon arrived afterwards and were met with instant resistance from the Spanish. A battle ensued that lasted four hours, with the Spanish experiencing heavy losses. The buccaneers had lost almost none and had only a very few wounded by this point. And when the fighting died down, the Spanish were told, if you don't surrender voluntarily, you shall soon see this town in flames and your wives and children will be torn to pieces before your faces. And with that, the Spanish surrendered. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a a pretty real threat. I liked the fact that um, Morgan basically like fuck the whole thing by essentially doing like the classic bond villain and being like i'm going to lay all my plans out to you (laughs) i know obviously they weren't there but even the spanish guy was like oh he's such a dick yeah (laughs) what an asshole (laughs) now quickly i should remind you that the letters of mark given to captain morgan did not allow for attacks on land they only allowed for attacks on spanish ships Thus, with this attack on the city, Morgan committed open and outright illegal piracy. This will also come into play in part two. Now, once inside the city, the pirates locked all of the Spanish inside several churches and pillaged all the goods they could find in the town. However, the valuables had either been hidden or all taken from the town and hidden in surrounding areas. So the pirates began to starve the prisoners inside the churches. They also began torturing and tormenting them to give up their location of their treasure. Finally, the pirates grew tired of waiting and decided it best to just move on from Puerto Principe. However, they told the prisoners that they would need to provide them with two ransoms, one for their town and one for their lives. If they provided the ransom for their lives, but not their town, the town would be burnt to the ground before their eyes. If they could not produce any ransom, then the town would be burnt and then they would all either be killed or sold as slaves in Jamaica. Whoa, those guys were not messing about. No. Now, four of the prisoners offered to go in search of valuables that may have been hidden or other members of the town who may have run off with their goods. The four prisoners were let out for their search, but they were threatened with death and the death of the other prisoners if they did not return soon. The men returned a few days later, which I would say is a bit too long to be gone, (laughs) but they returned a few days later saying that they could not find any of the valuables, but begged Captain Morgan to give them 15 more days and they would pay the pirates in full. 
and reluctantly, Captain Morgan granted this request, as up to this point they didn't really receive much booty anyways from Puerto Principe, so they might as well wait for this reimbursement. However, a short time after the four men had returned, a group of pirates that had been searching the surrounding areas returned with a good amount of booty, which was hidden around the surrounding areas. They also brought more prisoners with them. When they searched these prisoners, they found that one of them was carrying a letter that was meant to be received by the prisoners in the town. And Captain Morgan read this letter and found that it was from the governor of Santa Jago, or Iago, Santa Iago, a somewhat nearby town. And in his letter, the governor told the prisoners to drag out as much time as possible as he was sending reinforcements to fight the pirates. And after reading this, Captain Morgan ordered all of the recovered treasure to be placed on the ships and told the prisoners that they had a single day to pay their ransoms. When they said they would need more time, Morgan, likely just sick and tired of this awful series of events and failed mission, settled for 500 cows instead. 500 cows? Oh, well, one can settle for less. I do like that he essentially got his kind of uh, like reverse bond villain thing back by leading the letter and he was probably like, oh, you dumbass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly what the Come. prisoner thought of him as well, yeah. Yeah. Now, this failure of a mission took an even worse turn when an Englishman and a Frenchman from Captain Morgan's crew got into a bit of a disagreement while they were cutting up the cows. So, they challenged each other to a duel. But as they arrived at the duel location, the Englishman stabbed the Frenchman in the back. And this caused the other Frenchman and Captain Morgan's crew to want revenge on the British. But Captain Morgan would not allow an insurrection among his ranks, so he instantly placed the Englishman in chains to be brought back to Jamaica and hanged. Morgan said that any man might challenge his adversary, but it was not lawful to kill him treacherously, as the Englishman had done. Classic bust up that, Englishman and a Frenchman disagreeing. <laughs> yeah, and stabbing each other. Yeah, classic. <laughs> Now, once the men had loaded up their treasure, they left the area and found a small island where they could count their haul. In total, the sacking of Preda Principe had gained the fleet 50,000 pieces of eight. And this may seem like a lot as a number, but it also needed to be divided between 700 men. And this would absolutely not do. They needed more, and Captain Morgan claimed that they should find another target to take. However, the French disagreed, and they decided it was best to part ways with their British comrades. They did so actually on good terms, and Captain Morgan reiterated his promise to have the Englishman hanged, which he did. Captain Morgan kept his word, and the Englishman was hanged instantly upon their return to Port Royal, which gave a glimpse of just how brutal he could be, not just to the Spanish, but to his own men. However, it also shows a bit of loyalty to his men under his command, really. For sure. Yeah. Why, why wait until you get back to land to hang him? Surely there's, there's ample opportunity on the, sh on the ship. And there was no talk of walking a plank. No, there wasn't. I don't even know if walking the plank was real. I'll, I'll give the answer to that on the next episode. But I think, uh, well, people were hanged quite a bit as a uh, lawful punishment. Mm. So maybe it has something to do with actually having him lawfully punished as opposed to being thrown over and murdered. Right. Not 100% sure. It was said that Captain Morgan didn't like outright murder, but then also his actions kind of go against that in this next attack, in this next story. It's a bit different. So I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, but from this interaction with the Englishman and the Frenchman, you can see that they parted on good terms, but there was a bit of animosity there that actually comes into play in the second episode. It's really interesting to see that. And maybe that led up to Brexit. Who knows? Maybe it was <laughs> Captain Morgan's fault 
that England's going through Brexit. Who knows? That's a nice 300-year hangover. Who can we blame? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, For any Brexiteers out there, they'd be like, it was a bloody immigrant or that. And it's like, no, no, it was the pirates. It was the Welsh pirates. That's how every single argument for Brexit goes, though, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, it's the government. Oh, no, it's... And they keep going back in history. Like, no, it's the pirates. No, it's the Vikings. No, what are you talking about? Of course it was the cavemen. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. Like, It's everybody's fault. Who cares? Now, I said that Captain Morgan could be brutal, but I also said that Captain Morgan showed loyalty to those under his command. Unfortunately, again, this gesture of him promising to have the Englishman hanged and actually hanging him was not enough for the French to stay as members of his fleet. So Morgan was left in a pretty terrible position. He lost a great number of men, but he wanted more booty. What was he to do? He decided to say, fuck it, and he went to attack his next target anyway. An even bigger town. Big balls. but Huge balls. Booty mad. Booty Matt. His eyes were like the currency signs that you see in cartoons. <laughs> now, with the loss of his Frenchmen, Captain Morgan was only able to muster up a force of about 460 men, around 30% less than the previous force. And most captains would have decided to go for a smaller target at this point, but Captain Morgan was a go-big type person. He loaded up his fleet and set sail for a destination, which he had not yet revealed to his crew. Now, the fleet arrived near Costa Rica, and it was here that Captain Morgan told his captains his plan. You see, he had learned from his previous mistakes of openly discussing his plans around just anyone. So he decided to go to the other end of the spectrum and not tell a single soul about his plan until reaching their destination. Smart move, that one. Well-learned lesson. Exactly. Now, Morgan told his captains that it was his plan to plunder the city of Puerto Bello by night. And by plunder, he meant he literally wanted every single valuable inch of that city. He wanted everything from that fucking city. And he would not settle for less. However, Puerto Bello was not a small city. It was a great city. And Morgan's men knew this. They questioned him, saying that they had nowhere near the amount of men necessary to sack a city of this size. Captain Morgan replied, saying, Dude, there's no way we could fail. I've not told anyone about this. <laughs> Dude, there's no way. <laughs> he basically said, trust me, I haven't told anybody about this. They don't know we're coming. We'll be fine. But of course, he also pointed out the fact that if there were fewer men, they'd all get a larger cut of the booty, uh, which pet them in right up, obviously. However, the men were right to be worrisome. Puerto Bello was no joke. It was considered the strongest place the King of Spain possessed in all of the West Indies, aside from Havana and Cartagena. At the entrance to the city were two castles guarding the city that were generally considered impregnable, as well as multiple castles throughout the city that could offer shelter during an attack. Also, the city was home to at least 400 families, as well as a garrison of 300 soldiers. So taking this city would be a huge task. Whoa. Now, Captain Morgan and his crew arrived at a different port about 34 miles away from Puerto Bello, around midnight. It was decided that it would be best to approach the city in a more careful fashion. Now, they made their way up a river leading to the city and eventually transferred themselves to canoes and boats. They soon reached land and made the rest of the journey on foot. They then reached the first post on the way to the city where a single guard was patrolling and the pirates were able to quickly capture the man and questioned him on the inner workings of the city. They then took this guard prisoner and made their way closer to the city, and they soon arrived at one of the castles on the outer perimeter. 
They lined themselves against the castle walls, keeping any traffic from going in and out. And Captain Morgan ordered the prisoner guard to call into the castle and tell the other soldiers to surrender. Otherwise, they would be cut into pieces with absolutely no mercy. Instead of heeding these words, the Spanish soldiers just immediately opened fire on the pirates. Literally just started firing. It was basically like, hey, you guys should probably surrender. And it was it. Like, it was just, there was no discussion whatsoever. And it was said that they put up a hell of a fight. But the castle actually fell quite quickly to the pirates. Wow. Very impressed, considering how unnumbered they were. Exactly. It's really interesting because one of the reasons this castle fell is that they had a primitive type of grenade. So it was like a clay pot, I think it was, and and it was full of explosives, and it was lit on fire and thrown, and it would actually blow down doors. So they were actually able to burst into these castles and infiltrate these castles and take them in from the inside. Very interesting, actually. That's nuts. That's nuts and awesome. Yeah. Now, once they made it into the castle, the pirates then made good on their words, literally slicing the Spanish into pieces with their sabers. Those that did not get cut into pieces were then packed into a small room in the castle, one tiny room, and they were barricaded inside. One of the pirates, possibly Captain Morgan himself, had an idea when they noticed a great amount of gunpowder held in the castle. They set fire to this gunpowder inside the castle and made their way outside. With the Spanish still locked in this small room, the castle exploded, completely destroying a large part of the structure, including the room containing the Spanish soldiers. Very brutal stuff. Yeah, big way to go. (laughs) Yeah. The pirates then turned their sights on the city itself. The citizens of the city were now throwing their treasures into wells and hiding them underground to keep the pirates from robbing them completely blind, as they had heard all the commotion anyways. So obviously they were trying to keep themselves from going completely destitute because of this pirate attack. The governor of the city was unable to rally his troops and citizens in all of the commotion, so he made his way to one of the remaining castles. Now the pirates continued their plundering and pillaging until noon the next day, almost 12 hours at this point of pillaging and plundering and killing. They then turned their sights to the castles, housing the governor and the upper-class citizens, because obviously inside these castles, which were still not penetrated, were still hiding probably a large amount of treasure. So Captain Morgan and a small force attacked the governor's castle head-on, while other groups of pirates went on to attack the other castles. Captain Morgan's chosen castle was heavily guarded, and the pirates were being beaten back harshly. However, when Captain Morgan saw that the other groups of pirates were starting to take their respective castles, because they were raising their flags, he rallied and came up with an awful idea to take the governor's castle. He charged one of his men to gather up as many religious men and women as he could, and I don't mean people who went to church. These pirates gathered up nuns and priests for their plan. Captain Morgan then ordered the pirates to make 10 or 12 ladders that were so broad that three or four men could climb them at once. Once these were constructed, they were placed against the walls. However, Morgan didn't send pirates up the ladders. He sent the nuns and priests. Captain Morgan called into the castle for the governor instructed him to surrender the castle. And the governor declined, saying that he would not surrender himself alive. So Captain Morgan instructed the priests and nuns to begin their climb up the ladder against the castle walls. He knew well that the governor would not likely fire upon his own people, but he knew wrong. The governor opened fire on all trying to breach the castle walls, including the priests and nuns, 
who all continued to climb while crying and screaming and begging for his mercy and to surrender the castle to save their lives. The governor was not moved by their pleas and continued the murder of his own people. And finally, the pirates made their way up the ladders and overpowered the castle. Once inside, all of the Spanish soldiers surrendered, save for the governor. The governor was so upset by his men's surrender that he actually killed a few of his own men himself. The pirates then asked him if he would surrender and be taken prisoner willingly. He answered them saying he'd rather die a valiant soldier than be hanged as a coward, to which the pirates obliged. They killed him. Although, I'm not sure how he could be a valiant soldier after murdering quite a few of his town's priests and nuns. That is pretty nuts. That like, Yeah, he just opened fire on a bunch of priests and nuns. That, like, probably a lot of churchgoers being like, oh, come on, come back up inside. And he's like, ah, no, 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 and just mowed yeah. them all down. Yeah. That is pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal, yeah. He was not uh, a very nice man. And I suppose you can say he murdered them, or you could also say Captain Morgan forced him to murder them. I guess it depends on how you look at it. But either way, both men were quite brutal. Mm. Now, following the capture of the castle, the city itself completely fell to the pirates. They then spent the next two weeks in the city, drinking, eating, and celebrating. Captain Morgan then ordered the people of the city to pay a ransom of 100,000 pieces of eight. To do so, they sent two men to the president of the nearby large city of Panama. Once they arrived, they informed the president of the attack on Puerto Bello not the mushroom. <laughs> so the president then gathered a force and went to meet these pirates at this giant mushroom. I'm just kidding. I got to stop. <laughs> so the president then gathered a force and went to meet these pirates. He sent word ahead of him to Captain Morgan saying that if he and his pirates did not vacate the city now, he would show them no mercy. Captain Morgan, not giving a single shit about these threats, said he would leave once he received his ransom, and if he did not receive it, he'd burn the whole fucking city to the ground. Now, after receiving this letter, the president felt it was probably best to just leave the pirates to their own devices, and in a few days, he just paid the ransom in full. <sighs> that's pretty... That's some, again, pr that's some big balls. That's Very some big, big balls, balls to be like, well, well, if I can't have it, nobody can. Yeah. He basically just said, pay me or I'm just going to burn this place to the ground. I don't give a shit. It's kind of childish in a way, really. Kind of, but also just like, I want my fucking money. Where's my money, bitch? You know? <laughs> now, with the ransom, the president also sent word to Captain Morgan explaining his surprise that such a small force could have taken such a large city. He asked Morgan how he could have possibly accomplished this feat. And in response to this letter, Captain Morgan sent back a pistol to the president. He asked the president to watch over this pistol for him, as he would soon make his way to Panama to retrieve it. And the president returned the pistol with a note telling Morgan that he probably shouldn't attack Panama, as he would not favor as well as he had in Puerto Bello. However, Captain Morgan was not one to be taken lightly, and the president of Panama was soon to learn that himself. And that's where we'll pick up on next week's conclusion to our series on the pirate Captain Morgan. Immense. The, the Morgan has got some big balls. He does have some big balls for a guy with such a tweedly mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and such fine hats and leather boots. It's such fine hattery. <laughs> it's, yeah, big balls for someone, uh, big love to the Welsh, but someone from Monmouthshire who definitely married his cousin, you know. Yeah. So, uh, 
I mean, I would even argue that may give him bigger balls. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many different reasons we could go into him having large testicles for marrying his cousin, but... Let's stick to the pirate attacks. <laughs> <laughs> Is it wrong? At the end, as soon as you mentioned Panama, like my head just went straight into the Van Halen tune as well. Oh, yeah. I just imagined him sailing, like holding onto the front of the ship going, Panama! Yeah, we should have ended it with that. Panama! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this, uh, the first episode on Captain Morgan. Obviously, stay tuned next week for the conclusion. And next week's episode, we talk about a couple more of his attacks and crazy, unfortunate events around his life. And then we end with some of his political leanings and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's a very uh, in-depth episode. Very, very interesting stuff. So definitely check back later. And 100% thank you to Sam Brown for stepping in for this episode, for this series. Thank you so much, man. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, dude, thank you so much for having me. It's been wicked fun. And a like, big shout out to Cody, who does like all the research for these episodes. That was a, a mammoth of, a, of, of an episode. And you, and you said it all so eloquently. I was like, holy cow. Oh, thank a, you, man. Final rater. But yeah, um, that was immense. I'd made like loads of notes and I was constantly like, Santiago de Cuba, a uh, Welshman, married his cousin, big balls, um, 50, 90, 60. There's so many notes on there, but they're all so disjointed. If anyone looked at it, they'd be like, why has he written privates? Uh, oh no, Buccaneers and, and Venables. You just kid- and it's like you, you start mixing up the notes, like married his balls. <laughs> Has a huge cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Sailed the portobello mushroom to Panama. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Yeah, it was a lot of information. So I hope I kept it straight enough for the listeners and you, Sam. Um, my, My goal was to communicate as much of the information as possible to really build the world of pirates for you in this actual episode. Because I want people to get a real world idea of pirates, not Pirates of the Caribbean, more because it's it was just as badass the r- way it really happened. Agreed. Like, actually, uh, that's, that's the thing. Obviously, when, um, when Cody asked me to do the episode, I was kind of coming in blind. But as soon as he said pirates, I was like, yes! And this Captain Morgan, <laughs> and I was like, I love Roman pirates! This is great! So, uh, I'm funny. That's I'm cool, very much looking forward to week two. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to having you for that one as well. And uh, do you have any notes that I can clarify? Maybe the listeners have questions uh, that you have. So maybe I can clarify anything if you have any. Oh, uh, oh. So, uh, what, have you got any history behind why they're called pieces of eight? I've forgotten this. Yeah, because they're called pieces of eight because the currency could actually be broken into eight pieces. Oh, that's mad. So is that, so if you've got like a thousand, like a hundred thousand uh, K's worth, for instance, of of pieces of eight, hundred thousand pieces of eight. You've actually got hundred thousand times eight hundred thousand. Oh my! God. You did the math that quickly. Well, no, yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> it wasn't even that hard, but I was still like, <laughs> we did it so quick. <laughs> well, no, the currency is actually an interesting point. I didn't put much on currency because this type of historical currency is very difficult to judge its value. It's incredibly difficult to judge its value because it's not like you can look at inflation with pounds and that sort of thing. If you're talking about archaic forms of currency, it's very difficult. But I can safely say that 250,000 pieces of eight is a large fortune, 100%. It's definitely a good amount for, especially for a pirate plundering of a single city. It's a huge amount of money. I don't doubt it. I mean, even if I'm just thinking, I'm just visually thinking, it's quite sad that most of my frame of reference for this is either Treasure Island or <laughs> <laughs> Hook 
and and Pirates of the Caribbean. So that's where my head's going through all this and going, <laughs> now I'm pretty sure that's a lot of money. They always look really happy when they come around come around with like just chests full of it. And there's definitely not 100,000. So they're probably doing all right. Yeah, definitely doing all right. And those chests, there might be 50,000, like from the first one, from the first plundering. But you're talking, you're talking multiple chests and lots of valuable items. Definitely. And let's not forget the booty. Let's not forget the booty. I never forget the booty, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to this series, uh, the first episode of this series. It's a wild ride, and next week is going to be just as detailed, so please stick around for that. Definitely, if you could, subscribe to us on any on the, on the any app that you're using right now. You don't have to leave, leave us reviews. I don't really care. I'm not going to beg you for reviews or anything like that. But if you want to hear the next episodes, please subscribe because that really helps me know that people want to hear more. So please subscribe on whatever... Uh, device you're using stitcher i know we got on Castbox and all these other ones i mean everything um from spotify to apple Podcasts. just please feel free uh to subscribe and um if you want to follow the show just go to unfortunatehistory.com we have all of our links there and you can read all the show notes uh if you want to follow me just google cody pennington and all of my links should be there as well and sam do you want to shout anything out Oh, just a big shout out to you guys for doing so so much on the show. It's been wicked to be uh, like a part time part of it. Uh, you and Greg have been smashing it, and as as the guys always say, it, it costs nothing to give it a follow or a like. Uh, give it a share on social media. The numbers are going really well at the moment. Yeah, uh, and you guys are coming into like a couple of the top charts, which is wicked. So keep the momentum going. Um, if you like my very juxtaposed accent to to lovely Greg, <laughs> you can find me on um, Instagram at. Oh, this is really long at Sam T A Brown musician all in one. I really need to change it. I did it a while ago because I thought it was clear. And my name is very boring because if you type in Sam Brown, you obviously get, um, you better stop before. And then, you know, that's not me. Another and thing I have to edit out, though. Sam. Thank you. Sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing us here, man. This is not lawyers. The copyright claims. Yeah. I'm like, I'm putting so much money into this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, always come and, uh, yeah, feel free to abuse me on social media. But I like the guys, you know, they're, they're doing some wicked jobs with this, and it's it's nice to be, as I said, a part-time, a part-time part. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, but unfortunately, we got to go. So stay unfortunate. Ayo. Sam, you can say it if you want. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no, that's his line. I'll be like, stay unfortunate, everyone. Yeah, perfect. Bye. See ya.